Well, good morning again. So glad to be back with you guys uh, after a week away. And thanks to Dave Stanback for uh, preaching and asking us last Sunday, a great kind of New Year's message, asking us to consider uh, our use of our time in light of the greatness of God. Uh, I think a fitting, fitting New Year's message. And uh, it's great to be back after a week away. And it was all scheduled uh, a few months ago. Uh, it was all scheduled to be a uh, kind of a week of vacation. Then we went and bought a house. So that sort of changed things a little bit. It uh, became kind of a packing and moving week. And uh, it's an interesting when you move like nine doors down. Uh, we hired a couple guys to help us with the really big stuff, like the piano and the fridge. And I look out our front window, and there goes our piano being rolled on a dolly of four wheels down the street to our new house. <laughs> so if somebody was driving down Ninth and saw a piano rolling, that was ours. But uh, we had a great week nonetheless. It was a great move, and a sincere thanks to those of you that helped us. Um, really kind of moved for us in a record of 90 minutes. Uh, we were done. So um, thank you for that. And honestly, we're glad, too, just to be able to continue to put even more roots down here and can be uh, owning a home here. So believe it or not, we are going back to go forward, right? We're, we're going back to wrap up 2 Timothy. Uh, we have one message left, and we kind of... Uh, we uh, changed courses about a month ago. We did a special message that kind of changed our schedule. Uh, and, and then Advent came, and uh, we came to the new year. And I thought, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to go back? And I just could not jump over this last passage of 2 Timothy as I was thinking about um, what are we going to do for the new year. I mean, these are the Apostle Paul's final words recorded, written down, that we're going to see today. A few days or even a few weeks before his death, and I could not skip or pass up this finale. You see these words coming up where he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I've kept the faith. I couldn't pass that up. We've got to do that. We've got to get this last passage. But if you're like me, when I returned to the book this week, I thought, what is it about again? What did we talk about? You know, it was only a month and a half ago, a month and a half ago, I guess, but I had that thought. What, did, what is 2 Timothy all about? So let's do a quick recap. Remember, let's try to remember and go back a little bit. It's a heartfelt, sincere, emotional letter. It's the last letter Paul wrote before his actual death, and he's writing it now from a, a prison, you might say, a dungeon, to his dear companion, Timothy, who was Timothy. Remember, he's a young pastor, but a timid guy, possibly fearful, but definitely, certainly facing pressure uh, for his commitment to the gospel. And Paul, in this letter to Timothy, is absolutely committed to the truth and handing it off, hence our, our series logo you see on the front of your worship folder, the passing off of the baton. He's absolutely committed to that. And really, it's a primary theme of this letter. Guard the truth, Timothy. Protect the truth, Timothy. Pass on the truth, Timothy. And you look at the words of Paul there, you see that verse behind me there, and you get a, a, a strong sense, a conviction even when you look at Paul's words, that he understood his purpose. Paul understood his mission in life, what it was, and by the grace of God, he fulfilled it. He's about to as he passes on. He knew what he had been saved for. Let's say that again. Paul knew what he had been saved for. Have you ever thought about that question? We're going we're to talk about it. 
what is our salvation for? What's it for? What are you saved for? As we begin 2018, Bethany Church, this is going to be a theme or a question you might say that we're going to revisit throughout this coming year, actually. It's going to be a question we're going to ask ourselves over and over again this year, seeking God's words for the answers. What is our salvation for? You might be wondering, well, what, what, is, what does Pastor Jeff mean by that? What does he mean? What is our salvation for? I, th- I think this quote's going to help. It comes from a book called A Practical Guide to Culture, Helping the Next Generation Navigate Today's World. It's a book that our, our staff is reading right now every Tuesday, and I, I think it's excellent. And I'd recommend it to any of you, especially if you are parents of young kid or kids or grandparents of, uh, of young kids, uh, and, and you have a desire, or any youth, and you're wondering, how am I going to help them navigate this culture? It's changed so much since when I was a kid. How am I going to do that? How am I going to help them finish their own race, as Paul has, and, and grow up in this cultural moment right now? It's, it's, it's worth the price. So I would write it down if you're a parent and, and, and grab one of those. It's got really practical chapters even on each of the kind of cultural issues that we're facing. But here's the quote to help us understand this question. What is our salvation for? And in this quote, you're going to see a, uh, 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 the Shoal siblings mentioned. The Shoal siblings. Let me give you a little who they were before I read this quote. They were a brother and sister, Hans and Sophie Scholl. And in, during the season, the time of World War II and the Third Reich, they began an underground resistance called the White Rose. Maybe you've heard of, them, heard of it before. And they wrote underground newspapers and letters and pamphlets against Hitler, against the Third Reich, because of their faith when they realized what was taking place. So that's who's mentioned. That's the context of their life. Here's a quote. Christians love to talk about how Christ has saved saved us from sin and judgment to righteousness and eternal life with God. The Shoal siblings, however, grasp the vision that they were saved for something. For something. Specifically, they believe that God had called them to that particular moment in German history. We are redeemed, made right with God, yet we aren't immediately whisked away to heaven upon conversion, are we? We're still here. So now what? The story the Scriptures tell clarifies that just as God intended His image bearers to bring life to the world by ruling over it as He would, He intends redeemed humans to join in His work in bringing new life. It's not just saved from sin and judgment, our salvation. It is that, hear hear me say that, and it's not less than that, but it's also more. The idea isn't we just get saved to kind of get our fire insurance, and then we can kind of sit back and everything's good, and just kind of wait around until things really get bad. Each of us is saved for something, too. To engage the culture, or bring life, or reconciliation, and live as disciples, Paul was a man who knew what his salvation was for. He knew it. He wanted Timothy to know it. In many ways, that's what 2 Timothy is about. And he wants us to know it too. He wants us to know it too. And ask ourselves that question. What's your calling? What's your purpose? What are you to do with your salvation? What's it for in 2018? Each and every one of us, what's it for? What are you saved for? We all have callings from the Lord as disciples in, in the body of Christ or in the family or at work 
And Paul was one who was faithful at the end of his life. And so this morning, we're going to examine Paul's final words to see three examples of faithfulness by addressing the question, what is our salvation for? So three examples of faithfulness this morning. We're not going to entirely answer that question this morning. And there's more than one answer, but at least this morning we're going to talk about faithfulness. Here's the first one. A call to fulfill the faithful, call, uh, faithful calling. It's the first example this morning. Paul speaks to Timothy, and he gives him a call to fulfill a faithful calling. It's Paul's call to Timothy to personally fulfill the ministry to which he'd been called. That is what his salvation was for what he was to live for. And for Timothy, a big part of that was being a pastor, specifically. But just to help us remember where we're going, the context, when we've been away from this letter for a long time, of our passage and and Timothy's calling here, here's the verses leading into this. Remember, he just said in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And then he goes on to say, but, but Timothy, a time's coming, though, when people are not. They will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. Scripture was to Paul of utmost importance. I hope that's the one thing you kind of can remember a little bit from 2 Timothy as we think back. And yet he says, Timothy, keep preaching it because people, we're we're prone in general, all of us, to not want to hear it, to not. We don't want to be maybe challenged or convicted. And sometimes it's easier to kind of create our own myth, as Paul says, to suit our needs. So here now is Timothy's charge. Look at your Bible, chapter 4, verse 5. As for you, though, but for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I love to hear those pages turning in your Bible as they say, go to read. It means you're looking and and following along with me. Maybe you're swiping too. That's okay as well. (laughs) Totally fine. The word is the word regardless of the medium it comes through. But it's a charge to Timothy there. But for you, but for you, Timothy, here is your purpose. Here is what your salvation is for, Timothy. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. He says at the end of the verse, fulfill your ministry. So so what is it? What was Timothy's and how does it relate to you and I today, uh, you know, hundreds hundreds of years later, a couple thousand years later? How does it relate to us? How could it? Well, three things he mentions quickly to uh, Timothy. He says, first, be sober-minded, Timothy. He means, Timothy, be a person who's level-headed. Have a level head. Have a good head on your shoulders, Timothy. Don't, 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 don't freak out, Timothy, at the first sign of opposition. Isn't it easy to get discouraged? I, I, I feel that. To maybe hang our heads, to succumb to frustrations when challenges or trials come into your life. It's really easy, isn't it? And sometimes it's our default mode even. But Paul wants Timothy to, to stay calm. To stay uh, sane, you might say, when, when uh, opposition, when trials come. Here's an example for me. I, I don't know what it is, but uh, and I think I've gotten better at it. But the time when I seem to lose my cool and lose my head the most is when um, our kids get sick. For whatever reason, it's just one of those times when, 
I kind of lose it. My calm, level head is gone. It's like someone's like hit the scramble button on my brain. I don't don't know what that is for you, but that's the time for me. And usually it's like 3 a.m. in the morning. Maybe that has something to do with it. But that's usually the time for me. Uh, My hands are like cement blocks. You know, my my kids are getting sick. I'm running around kind of like, where am I? What's going on? Stumbling around when all my wife needed was a sick bucket. That's it. That's my only task. But I get so scrambled. She keeps her cool, right? Where's the, or where's the show for you? You lose your cool, kind of lose your mind. Or I think for others of us, a place that shows up even more is when we're discussing something or debating or talking with someone who disagrees with us. How easy is it to kind of lose your train of thought? What did I want to say? Where was I? Whether it's over the gospel, gun control, immigration, those topics that just kind of bring us to head with somebody. We don't have the words to say, and we can't quite articulate our logical position, and I tend to default to, well, uh, it's just those people, you know? It's just those people, or they're, just, they're the ones who are crazy and kind of villainize my opponent rather than keep that clear-headed discussion going. I know we all struggle with that. I like one commentator's quote on this section when he said about keeping a level head, he said this, we need to be reminded of the challenge every day and pray for God's help. We might wake up and wonder, well, what should I do today? One answer is always this. I should keep a clear head about everything. Lord, grant me grace. Don't you need this? I do. (laughs) Give me a clear head today, God. Let me think your thoughts about today. Whatever comes my way. But the ability to stay clear-headed is directly connected to the depths of our beliefs and our truths of God. The question to ask yourself is, do you just assent to them or do you rest the weight of your life on the truths contained in God's Word? Because that's how we stay level-headed. And to the degree that the promises have been ingrained into your heart and that you trust those promises of God, you'll trust the God of those promises. And God will answer that prayer, and you will stay calm and level-headed, and you will fulfill your ministry too. As we moved into our new home, um, we have a kind of neat downstairs basement room, and it was an office for the former owners, and um, they uh, had an office there and a desk, and they wanted a... um, I guess a bulletin board, and so they taped a bunch, or not, I guess not taped at all. They cemented a bunch of cork board uh, to write to the drywall. And I got in there, I thought, I'll I'll be able to do this. Got my little kind of scraper out. I was like, I'll be able to do it really gently, and I'll save that wall behind it. Really gently, right? Ten minutes later, you would see, I was like, you know, I mean, if you look through the window, you might have called the cops. Uh, But I was scraping, and, you know, sure enough, it, it was stuck to that wall. It was not going anywhere. They were thinking permanent because it was cement glue on there. And, of course, as I pulled it away, what came with it? Yeah, the dry, surface of the drywall kind of came down and, and came off the wall. And, I mean, it was cemented. It had become part of the wall, really. It had become part of the wall. When the truth of God gets so ingrained in you and known and believed, and it's like it's, you know it so much that it's kind of cemented to you, it becomes part of the wall or part of your life, we should say, or your heart, that's what we need. That's what you need to stay level-headed. Those truths are cemented to who you are. Cemented to who you are. 
We need God's word to stay level-headed, level-headed. And I needed Gene to help me fix my wall, so thanks to Gene. Yeah, we got in there and kind of did some stuff. But you need it. We got to have it. How do we stay level-headed? Especially if suffering comes. Especially if suffering comes. As Paul says, endure suffering. It's the second thing he says to him. Endure suffering. Or as Timothy says, the other thing is, he says, the third thing is, when you do the work of an evangelist, when you share the gospel, because Paul knows it's hard work to share your faith. Those two things. Be level-headed when you suffer. When you share the gospel, Timothy, how do you endure suffering? Now, not, not, not just us in general, but you uniquely now, when those trials come. We all have a list we could come up with of, uh, of different ways that you tend to default to when you endure suffering. Some people make a joke of it and kind of laugh it off. Some people are a little more defeatist and just admit defeat. Some people run from everything. If I just ignore it, it'll go away. Some people worry. That's their default. If I just worry a little more, that'll take care of it. Some people blame shift. Oh, look what you made me do. Which ones do you you tend to go to? Where do you tend to go when suffering comes and God's asking you to keep a level head? When what we should do is not run from it, not worry it, not blame shift it, but pray it. Pray it. Pray it to God when it comes. When we wake up in the morning, as that quote said, God, give me clear thoughts. Help me endure. Help me share your truth. Help me fulfill my calling. What's my salvation for? Show me, God, and help me live. Help me stay faithful. Rely on Him. This morning, we're looking, as Paul asked Timothy to do that, at these three examples of faithfulness. Timothy's call to fulfill his faithfulness was our first one. Here's our second one as we think about this question, what is our salvation for? And one thing is to live faithful. Our second one is this, finishing well. Our second example, Paul's final faithful lap. His final faithful lap. Remember, Paul dies within a few days or maybe a few weeks of penning, of writing the end of this letter. He's about to die. And he's so level-headed, isn't he? I mean, think about it. You or if I was in jail there. And he's still ministering even in those final days. Don't you want to finish well? Do you want to finish well? I know I do. Do you think about that? Can I finish well? Can I finish well? In my years of college ministry, one of the phrases that, uh, that I, uh, I would always say and share kind of became a theme of our ministry, especially towards the end of the year with our college seniors in their final year, in the final months, was this phrase, finish well. Finish well well. You're doing college ministry for a lot of years. began to see that pattern of those that were ending, coming to the end of something, the end of their graduation. I would see that common pattern of kind of checking out a few months before graduation. Just kind of checking out. Um, dropping the ball on relationships and ministry and sort of disappearing. And so we had this theme, finish well. And we would say it all the time and we would define what it would look like. Finish well with integrity. Finish, be all in at the place God has you until he moves you somewhere else or in Paul's case, calls you home. Finish well. And aren't there, if we think about our own lives and people we know and 
the history of the church in other places? Aren't there enough stories we know of those who seem to start great and finish poorly? Or leave the faith and wander off into catastrophic moral, moral failure? I desperately don't want to be that. And I hope and I want us to be faithful to the end, to the end of our lives. Look at Paul, what he says there, verse four, or chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Here's his final words. I'm al- I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all, all who have loved his appearing. Paul says, I'm dying. I am dying, Paul says. God is pouring me out. I'm being poured out, he says. I'm going to splash on the ground is basically what Paul is saying. It's pretty graphic, actually. It's maybe even a reference to knowing that as a Roman citizen, he wouldn't be crucified, but he'd probably be beheaded. And his blood would splash on the ground. And splash on the ground, kind of like the wine that they poured over the, in the Old Testament over those altars as they were sacrificing a lamb. He says, I'm dying, but I fought. I have finished. I've kept the faith. I'm dying, he says, for Christ. That's what Paul says. Dying for Christ. I don't know if you recognized the name on the slide this morning um, for our men's front, like, front line group, R.C. Sproul. There. It's okay if you don't, um, but, or didn't recognize him. He wrote this book called The Holiness of God. But for me, um, he was a really formative, uh, influential pastor, author, preacher for me in my early 20s and into my adult years. And he, R.C. Sproul now, just finished well. He just died a couple weeks ago. And I wanted, it was one of the reasons I want our men's group to go back now and read one of his classic books. This is a man, R.C. Sproul, like many other men and women in the church, he is one example of someone who was a, a teacher and a preacher and an author, and he lived and he, he spoke and he taught and he was faithful. He was one that stood up for uh, being saved by faith alone when the church, many in the church were kind of turning their back on justification by faith alone, that we're saved by our faith. R.C. was a man who stood against the tide for years and years. A few years back, I went to a conference in Orlando, Florida. It was right near his church where he was, um, had, uh, en- was ending his ministry, the final years. He was pastoring there, and we went to the conference, and we thought, you know, hey, Let's get over to uh, R.C. Sproul's church and let's hear the Sunday night sermon. Let's get over there and, and hear it. So we went over there and here's R.C. And, uh, at well advanced in years, late 70s, maybe early 80s. And here he comes into the sanctuary and uh, walks up to the front and, and kind of walks up and stands behind um, a podium there. And he looks at um, one of the associate pastors in the front row and he just goes, uh, where were we? I'm going like, what? Where were we? He doesn't, he doesn't know like... And they said, oh, we were, uh, it's um, Ephesians, we're chapter 1, like verse 10, right around there. And he goes, okay. He opens his Bible there. He preaches a 35, 40-minute sermon, no notes, and it just, wow, blows us away. It's a man who knew God's Word, 
He knew this salvation was for. And he finished, he finished well. He kept the faith. He loved Christ. He claimed Christ as Savior till he was poured out. Well, Paul finished well too. He takes stock of his life and he says, I've, I've I fought the fight. I have finished the race. Did you catch that though there? He says, I didn't win the race. He doesn't say, I won the race. He says, I, I finished the race because we all have to run it. And it's not about winning. And Paul knew it wasn't about winning. He knew it was about being faithful. Not winning, being faithful. And Paul wasn't in it for himself. He finished what God had for him. What God had for him. You can tell, look at him, he's mentioning all these people there. He's still concerned about them and ministry when he's dazed from death. He says, I finished the race. And what was that? He says, I've kept the faith. What is that? Paul was grateful and overjoyed that he was able to say, I have passed on the message of Jesus Christ. I've passed it on, Timothy, and I've given it to you, and you're going to give it to others, and my job, my salvation was for this. I was to give it to all the Gentiles. We're here because, in many ways, Paul finished the race. His job was to take it out to the Gentiles, and he did. He finished it. We're here as fruit of this man's life as he finished well. It's an incredible response, Paul's words. It's the end of his life. He sits there in jail, ready to die, and he's concerned about others. I don't think I could do that. He sits in jail and he's concerned about others, about Timothy. And you see, we're not going to go through all those names there, but you see that long list of people. You heard me read it. He's thinking about other people and their situations and making sure Timothy knows about them and and Alexander and all these things that are happening. You're going to go over those uh, in your life groups this week. Uh, We don't have time today, but he's not freaking out. He's not losing his cool. I'm going to die. I'm about to die. I'm about to die. No, Paul, he stays level-headed. And he's not superhuman, though. Sometimes we think of the Apostle Paul and say, well, he's just like, we're not like him. He's superhuman. He still had needs. Did you see him there? He says twice to Timothy, please come, Timothy, I'm alone. Please come, I'm alone. Please bring my coat when you come. I'm really cold. Did you hear that in there? Bring my cloak. I'm really cold. Uh, Bring my books. Bring my books. I I need those. If he wanted something to do, maybe he was bored, or more than likely he just wanted to do ministry until the end and wanted maybe even the scriptures that he had. He's a normal human, but he doesn't lose his mind even as he's facing the final days of his life. I love what he says there. He doesn't say, I'm going to die. He says, I'm going to depart. That sounds nice, doesn't it? I'm going to depart. I'm leaving. I'm I'm going away. I'm walking off. And I'm going to depart. It's kind of like he says, I'm getting in a boat and I'm sailing off. I'm sailing away. Paul always lived in the present by looking out, by looking to the future, or by looking up, you might say. That's how Paul lived his present. He didn't check out. He didn't say, I got my fire insurance, I'm good, I'm going to check out. No, he knew what his salvation was for, something, and he lived it, but he always could because he looked to the future. He looked forward. Look at verse 8 with me again. It says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved 
his appearing. Paul knew when he departed, Christ awaited. That's what he knew. When I leave, when he set sail for that distant shore, the righteous judge, Jesus Christ, would be standing there waiting for him and place on his head a crown of righteousness and say, well done, you did finish. You finished. You finished well. And give him actual righteousness, which is freedom, which is peace. Do you have that assurance that when you depart, something better awaits? To depart is better than remaining? Do you have that belief, that assurance? Really, I mean, that's the only way to actually live out in the here and now the way guys like Paul and Timothy and R.C. and the faithful men and women we see in Scripture, in our lives, or in our church. That's the only way to actually live out here and now and finish well by thinking as Paul did, to that distant shore. I I like to say, we kind of live with eternity amnesia, right? I live so much in the here and now, I forget about eternity. To live with those eternal shores in mind, as Paul did when he said, I'm about to depart, but I know where I'm going. I'm about to depart because Christ will be waiting. The great preacher uh, Spurgeon can say it always way better than any of us. He says this, to come to thee is to come home from exile. To come to land out of the raging storm, to come to rest after long labor, to come to the goal of my desires and the summit of my wishes. What, what are the goals of your desires? What are the summit of your wishes now? What's your motivation for living well and finishing well? Is it the appearing of Christ, as verse 8 says, as Paul says? You're appearing, Jesus. That's what helps me go. That's the summit of my desires or my wishes. It's the goal of my desires. A lot of times for me, it's fear or worry that motivates me, that, that, those questions we asked. Can you imagine being towards those final moments, as Paul is, and realizing oh, all that time I spent worrying? I mean, the countless hours. I look back at my life, all that time I spent worrying and anxious and all that brain power I used. And look, I made it to the end. And you were faithful, Christ. All the nerves I had, all the missed opportunities because of fear. When Christ, you were with me the whole way. I don't want us to be that. Any one of us in this room, those final minutes thinking, all those hours I spent worrying. And Paul knows, he gets to the end, he goes, I know, I know, you're with me now, you will be with me when I depart. To catch his situation, it's dire. He's in jail. You hear that name, Alexander. He's got this man, Alexander, I don't know a lot about, but he absolutely opposed everything Paul was for. And did you see that? Look at verse 16. The Apostle Paul the great defender of the faith, and he says in verse 16, at my first defense, no one, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Here's the Apostle Paul. He stands up for his trial. He's there before the Roman authorities. They're going to question him. 
more than likely uh, passed judgment and sentence on him, which was death, and he looks over his shoulder, and there's no one. No one there. No one to stand by him. Well, except one. And that's our final example. Except one. And that's our final example. The one true, faithful Lord. That's who we see. Verses 17 through 18, Paul says nobody was there. But he says then in verse 17 and 18, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth and the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's Paul's response. But how easy is it, how easy could it have been for Paul to look over his shoulder and see no one and say, I can't believe it. I've been serving these people for years and I look over my shoulder and no one's there. How easy it is for us to get bitter when someone disappoints us. It doesn't give us the recognition we deserve or take us seriously enough or listen to us. I mean, Paul was on trial for his life and no one shows up. No one. No one shows up. And what does he say? May it not be counted against them. Who does that sound like? sounds like Jesus. Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We don't have time to go into it this morning, but all through this passage, Paul's using the language of Psalm 22. Write that down. Maybe look at it later today. Do you know who used that psalm when he was heading to the cross and hanging on the cross? Psalm 22, you'll read that today if you do, and take a look and compare it to Paul's passage here. And you'll, when you read it, if you know the story of Christ, you'll go, oh, Jesus said that. Oh, he said that too, and he said that too. Paul, in his mind, at this moment, at the end of his life, has the very same psalm in mind that Jesus used as he went to the end of his life because he's following the same path. He's following the one true, faithful Lord. There will come a time, maybe it's today, when you are going to feel all alone. Maybe it's today. Maybe you're the last one alive in your family line. And you feel it today. Maybe it's going to be around a family discussion in the future sometime and somebody asks you, you still go to church? Why? Maybe if you're a student or a young person, it might be in the future, you're over at somebody's house and everybody's trying something, but you just don't want to. And you may look over your shoulder and see no one standing by you. Like Paul. No one standing by you. But like the Apostle Paul, if you have Jesus Christ, he is standing with you always. He's always there. And he'll strengthen you. And he'll rescue you, as Paul said. Maybe not right from the circumstances of the moment, because he didn't Paul. Paul died. He was poured out. But he will, as Paul said, rescue you ultimately. He will bring you home someday safe. And Paul knew Jesus was with him. So he could look over his shoulder and say, forgive them. I know he's with me. He wasn't ultimately alone, and you aren't either any time, any day, any moment if he's your Savior. Ever. 
How can you know? That's what Paul started his letter with. Paul ends his letter with, how can you know? God is a God of grace. God is a God of grace. That's how you can know. And he says to Timothy at the end, grace be with you, Timothy. Grace be with you. That's how you can know. How else can you know? Look at this table right here in front of us. Look at this table today. And what it represents is the one true faithful Lord. Christ's faithfulness. This table points us there again today, as Paul was pointed there, as he pointed Timothy there, and thousands of years from then, we're pointing ourselves there today again for one true faithful Lord in 2018, believe it or not. 2018? I don't know if we'd ever get there, and we are. Grace. It's offered to us today. That's what this table is. Christ in spirit is here with us right now in this room and residing in your heart if you're a follower. So we ask the question again, what is our salvation for? We're going to ask it all, all year, not every Sunday, but we'll bring it up time to time. What is our salvation for? Faithful living for the sake of the gospel to the end. That was t- that's 2 Timothy. Faithful living for the sake of the gospel to the end. Paul called Timothy to it. Paul did it. We see in these elements here today that show us that Jesus Christ did it too for you and for us today as we come back to this table and the one true faithful Lord. Here's what I want you to do. As our servers are getting ready, I want you to think into 2018 and think beyond that to the distant shores that that Paul talks about. And he says, I know who will be there when I depart. And I want us to just, just ask your, in your mind, between you and the Lord, what's my salvation for this year, Lord? What do you have for me in 2018? What do you have for us as a church, as Bethany Church, Lord? What's our salvation for? And spend a little time between you and the Lord. As the elements will be passed in a moment, if you, if you are coming to today, like, sounds intriguing, or I'm not quite there yet. I'm wondering what this is all about. It's okay, and I encourage you, let the elements pass today. It's okay. Nobody's going to be judging or looking down the aisle. But this is something that Christ reserved for those that call him Lord. Uh, but maybe spend that time talking to God.